welcome to the Victory Alabang Podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series entitled Amazing Grace. Together, we'll gain a biblical understanding of God's amazing grace and how it transforms our lives. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. We are in a series entitled Amazing Grace for the next five weeks. This is our second week. If you're a visitor here, welcome. You are in victory. And uh, we've, we've been talking about this amazing thing called grace. And for five weeks, what we hope to do is to explore the many facets of this word grace. How many of you have a toddler at home? Wow, there. You have a toddler at home. There, a few of you. Hi. Toddlers are amazing, right? It's amazing to have toddlers at home. <laughs> right? Everything's just everywhere. Every day. But she's a, a ray of sunshine in the house. Whenever I go home, one of the things that I look forward to is whenever I open the gate, when she hears that, she, I can hear from, from the front of the house, I can hear her shout my name. Tatay! Tatay! And the moment I enter the door, pasalubong! <laughs> okay? And, and it's, it's wonderful. That feeling is amazing. One of the things that she's uh, learning right now whenever she watches something, okay, is that she would have a new term of endearment. Magkakaroon kami ng bago. One moment, I entered, we watched Frozen 2. I don't know if you've seen the movie. We watched Frozen 2. After that, the next day, when I went home, I opened the door and she said, Christoph! I'm Christophe for a day. And it's an amazing feeling. If you're a father and you've ever experienced that, it's it's a feeling that is, I don't know, I cannot even describe it with words, right? And I can talk to you about things about my family for hours and tell you how wonderful the experience is whenever I go home and see them and spend time with them. I can tell you every single detail about how it feels, but you'll never feel it the way I feel it. Unless you have experienced it. And that's so true about grace. We can spend hours and hours and hours thinking, talking to you about it. I can spend all the details. I can tell you the Greek of it, the Hebrew of it, the Chinese of it. No, I know not the Chinese of it. But I can tell you all the details. I can lecture for hours about grace. But we will never experience it until we step out and experience it for ourselves. So, my invitation for you for the next few minutes that we're together is to step out in faith and experience this grace. Not just to know it with this mind, and that's important, to know it with this mind, but to truly embrace the grace that God has provided. I grew up in Batangas. I grew up in Lemery, Batangas, specifically. And um, in my school, at the back of it is a seashore like this. And whenever it's sunset, I would always look at it and, and, and experience the warmth and, and the cold wind, but at the same time, the salty air that hits my nose. Like that, I can describe to you many things about this seashore. But until we step into the seashore, we'll never experience it much like grace. Right now, we know that Taal exploded. It's still in level 4 alert. Um, it has not come to that point where it's spewing and you know, full-blown. But right now, there's so many families that are affected. There's just one place in Tanawan that's covered in ash. And, and there are still a lot of places that are just moving around. 
And this is not only happening here in our country. We know of the bushfire in Australia. We know of the tsunami of Indonesia. The earthquakes in India and Puerto Rico. The flash floods in Afghanistan and Korea. U.S.-Iran conflict. On a cosmic scale, a lot of things are happening in the world right now. But I am sure that it's not only happening in that scale. I'm sure that it's also happening in the most personal scale. That the brokenness and the shaking of this world, it's also happening in houses, in homes, in relationships, in, in minds, in hearts of people. We live in a broken world, don't you think, right? And, and, and maybe you're not a religious person and you, you, you don't view the world this way, but I guess you don't need to be a religious person to think of this. You just have to pause and look around you and there's just much brokenness. It just takes a few minutes to look into our hearts and realize, man, there's just so much, but so many things that are broken here. And in a world where brokenness is like a norm and pain and suffering and, and, and uncertainty and doubt has become a norm, how do we, as people of God, as people who believe in a good, wonderful, powerful God, how do we make sense of this world? Because the tendency is since we live in a broken world, sometimes our lenses can be broken and we can look at everything as broken. And my invitation is that as we look today at this wonderful, wonderful Word of God, I pray that we would appreciate and really embrace the sufficient grace of God. I pray for all of us in this place that we won't step outside this room unmoved by the love of God. And that was, as we think of the amazing grace of God, He truly, truly will fill our hearts and we would be able to truly experience grace. So are you excited for this? Yeah, yeah a few of us. Thank you. <laughs> but today, we'll read from the New Testament. This is actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. We'll be reading from a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And we will see how he makes sense of pain through the lens of grace. Let's all read the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in witness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Lord, may we have the grace to say, when we are weak, we are strong. To experience a God who is able and willing to move us from glory to glory. Today, oh God, do a miracle in our lives. We expect you to move our hearts, our families, our relationships. We expect you to speak today. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may now take your seat. And just like a beautiful, wonderfully cut diamond, we're looking at grace. Many sides, just one beautiful diamond. Grace is one of those terms that we use in church a lot. And it can mean so many things. And sometimes it can mean nothing. That's why it's so important that this word grace, this, this catch word, would really be filled with the truth that comes from God. And that's what we're going to do in the next five weeks. The letter that we've just, re- this we've, that we've just read is a letter from Paul um, to a church named Corinth. That's that church. That's that place. Now that will be a place uh, linked to um, that side of the Greek uh, peninsula. And, and if you imagine the Corinth church, it would be something like this. It is a small city, not too small, but it's, it's one of those cities that grew big because of the people moving in. Rich people moving into Corinth because it's a beautiful place. They start moving in that place and they start establishing many people, many generals who eventually would, would uh, retire and move to Corinth. They have more money than people many times and that's why they resorted to many things. Okay, This is a picture of how uh, it is now. Ruins. But you can imagine how majestic this place is. You know, you can imagine the many things that happened in this city. Um, commerce was strong. In fact, one of the, one of the first gambling sites was, was here and in Corinth. You know, chariot racing in Corinth. And, and, and there's a lot of sin in this city. And Paul writes to a church where when he started a church, it was okay. But then when he moved out, he went to Ephesus. He heard that some things are happening in the church in Corinth. And he had to write things. And some of the things would be sexual immorality, problem with their uh, order of worship. And at this point of the letter, chapter 11, chapter 12, we are actually encountering Paul talking about super apostles. Okay? super apostles, but they're false teachers actually. Paul is using a, um, um, a, lit, a literary technique where he uses the term super apostles to describe those false teachers. False apostles who are actually saying that Paul is not an apostle at all. So they need this credit nila si Paul. You know, you shouldn't believe that guy. That guy wasn't even with Jesus. Okay? So Paul at this point, would boast. He would boast because these super apostles are boasting. He says, I will boast also. And let's listen in as he boasts. What is he boasting about? He would start talking about his ministry. He could talk about that. But at this point of the letter, what we've read is when he talked about a time when he experienced being brought to heaven. He was brought to heaven. He saw wonderful things. And he says, I could boast about that. I could boast about what I saw in heaven. He says, um, in fact, there would be not enough words to describe that experience when I was brought to heaven. But chapter, verse 7 would tell us what happened next. That's verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations. That's the, 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 the fact that he went up to heaven. A thorn was given me in the flesh. 
See, what happened is that he saw these wonderful, great things and he can boast about that. But the thorn was given to him to keep him from being what? Conceited. If you're a note taker, by the way, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Paul's pain, God's response to Paul's pain, and then Paul's response to God's grace. We'll have only one point and two questions towards the end. So if you're a note taker, that is. But let's look at this. For some reason, Paul uses the term thorn. Now, we know Paul and we've, re- we've read some of his letters. In fact, if you're here and you've read Paul's letters, you'd know that he's an exact person. He would say it as it is, usually, right? But interestingly, in this part of the scripture, he uses a metaphorical idea. A thorn was given me in the flesh. And by the way, we don't know exactly what this is. Is this a literal thor- thorn in the flesh? Maybe he was sick. Maybe. Was it a spiritual thing? Maybe. But what we know for sure is this. It was painful. That's true. He was given to him in the flesh. Um, and in, another thing about his pain is that it was given to him from who? Satan. So one thing to understand the pain of Paul is this. One is really painful. And second... It's from Satan. And thirdly, he saw purpose to his pain. For some reason. He saw the purpose of his pain is that so that he would not be conceited. That he would not lose sight of who God is. Now let me tell you this. Because I believe that as we think about the pain of Paul, not all the pain we experience is like this. Right? I'm not sure if you've ever experienced a kind of pain that you know for sure and you see for sure is because God wants you not to be conceited. And maybe that's true for you. And maybe that's the situation you are in. Maybe that marital problem is to keep you from being conceited. Maybe that financial struggle is to keep you from being conceited. To be self-sufficient and moving away from God. Maybe. But we know for sure that this, this 66 books will talk about pain in many different ways. In fact, remember Job? Remember that guy? He experienced so much pain, but it was not because to keep him not conceited so that he would see the glory of God. Some people experience pain because of the decisions they've made, right? David, Bathsheba, Uriah. Some pain would not be by this nature. But what we'll learn is not just about pain. What we'll learn is how God responds to pain. To our call to Him. So let's look further. It was meant to harass Him. This this Greek word harass is a very interesting word because it, it talks about, have you ever been hit by knuckles on your flesh? Like bones in the flesh? Like it stings and stays for a moment? That's, ha- that's exactly that word. To harass. It stings and stays. It, it does not go away right away. And look at the response of Paul. Three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it should leave me. So Paul's pain is yes, to keep him from being conceited. And yes, it is something that that really is painful. But at the same time, look at this. Paul asks 
God to remove the pain. And, and the word pleaded there, that's why I, I like ESV. They use really I, nice ideas in English. Pleaded is the best word to describe it because the translators could have used prayed. Okay? Because the Greek word can actually mean prayed. So he could, he could have said, I prayed with the Lord about this, that they would remove it. But, but pleaded is a better word. Because you, you can hear the anguish in it, right? You can hear it. It's pleaded. Please God, remove this. Three times that he did this. He asked the Lord, please remove this. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that kind of pain. A kind of pain that all you can do at that point is to go to God and say, God, just remove this. He's not even asking, uh, give me the courage to face this pain, right? <laughs> he's not saying, give me the, the hope that after this. No, he's saying, just remove this, God. This is too much. I don't know what it is in the way we live our lives today, in your life today. In fact, maybe this is the thing. I know for sure that some of us aren't even experiencing, at the moment, pain. That's why it's hard to reflect on this. But if you pause long enough and think deep enough, I know for sure there are those moments you've felt this way or people you've seen go through such a pain that they go, just take this away. Just take this away. But you know what I'm glad about this, this narrative is? This, this situation in Paul's life. And I'm so glad it's in the Bible. I'm so glad that this particular part of Paul's life was written in the Bible. Because the next thing that's going to happen just reshape the way I view how God responds to us in time of pain. It would have been easy if after Paul pled the third time, he would have said, he pleaded the third time and God said, okay, I'll remove it. Can you imagine that? Or the second time. God removes it. That would have been so easy and would have been a perfect story, at least to my eyes. But let's look at what happens. He said to me, <laughs> He did not remove the pain. And I'm so glad that it's here. Because aren't there moments in our lives that we go through pain and we ask God, God, please take this away. But it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And many times in those moments of brokenness, we tend to go, maybe you're not true. Or maybe I'm not faithful enough. Or maybe people are doing the wrong things. But the Bible gives us a better insight. Not to fixate on ourselves. Not to look around us. But to look upward to God and fixate on who He is. He says this. The 14... Most glorious words in this whole line would be the response of God. 14 words, both in English and Greek. Yes, I counted. <laughs> he says, My grace. I will go through these 14 words slowly. Because it's so easy to go through this line and neglect it. Especially if you're here and you've been a Christian for a while, or you grew up in church. This is a bumper sticker statement, right? My grace is sufficient. Always. This is one of those things you write in your favorite list book. But we need to go slowly 
and really think deep. What do you mean here, God? My grace. Grace here. The word grace, again, we say it a lot. It's charis uh, in Greek. It means goodness. It means a gift at the same time. So, the goodness of God. Let's pause to think about what that means, really. Do we really understand the grace that comes from God? Because in these two words, my grace, the focal point usually is grace. But let me tell you, the focal point is the fact that it came from God. That it is His grace. That it is His goodness. Because grace is so important, but it's only as important from whence it came from. Where did it come from? That He is the source of grace. If I come to you with bottled water and you're so thirsty and I tell you, oh, I got that from basta dun lang sa kanto. Hindi ko alam kung malinis. Basta inamin mo na. It is somehow, I don't know how sensitive you are with water, <laughs> but for some of you, you wouldn't drink it. Even if it at the moment is good because you're thirsty, but the source somehow makes you feel, hmm, is this really good? I want us to think of this grace. We say this a lot in church. God is good. And all the time. And the emphasis in those statements usually is the good. But let me reshift that. God. That the focal point must be, the starting point must be in our understanding of grace. In our understanding and making sense of pain. I invite you, if you're here and you're a Christian, to reshift our perspectives once more. That the focal point of understanding grace is understanding it is from God. He is the source of all goodness. And if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just sitting here because somebody invited you. I want you to understand all good things come from God. It is a never-ending stream of goodness from the Father in heaven flowing to His people. God's response to Paul's pain was not to remove it, but to show him, I'm there. His response is presence. His response is a revelation of who he is. My grace. My grace. And we can continue. It is the grace that is sufficient for you. And it's fascinating when, when you look at this word sufficient, it is enough. It fills you right to the brim. Grace, never too much that you become spoiled and never too uh, less that you feel that it's not enough. That every inch of grace that flows from the hand of God is measured so much so that you would be pointed to Him. That we would know that He's true. The mystery of Christianity is that the grace of God is to be experienced, not just known by the mind. The mystery in my mind, whenever I think of Christianity, is this. Is that you don't, you don't get grafted in because your parents are Christians. 
<laughs> that you don't get grafted in because you sit, you sat through a service, listen to a small guy yapping. <laughs> you get grafted in because of the grace of God that He poured out from His love. His grace is sufficient for you. Those few words should reshift our perspective of pain should radically reform how we understand pain that we go through. And that is only true because that is only true when we know who this God is. That's why the emphasis on my grace. This is only true if we know God. We love the idea of grace. We love the idea of receiving it. A bigger question is, do we love the God from whence this grace comes from? Because we love the goodness. We must first love the God. My grace is sufficient for you. In a season where Paul was pleading to God three times, God remove this, God remove this, God remove this. I don't know how long he prayed for those three times. In fact, there would be scholars like Craig Keener that would say that three times is a placeholder because he would not he was not able to count the number of times he pleaded. Basta <laughs> three, somewhere there. I just pleaded to God. And the response of God is that, my grace is sufficient for you. This is Taal, the volcano area. This, you know, the image. It's amazing how much power lies underneath the floors of these rocks. Amazing how much potential for destruction. When I heard about what happened here, I was in Santa Rosa. I just preached in our monochrome service. Uh, we had lunch. I was with my family. We're walking down the, you know, that place where there's fish and, you know, and it started raining. When I, when the, the rain touched my arm, it was black. Immediately in my mind, mm, this is not. So I started searching. So it was Taal. We rushed back home, started calling my grandmother who lives in Lemery. And she, she was ta- talking to us how, how it's been shaking for so many, uh, every minute, there's, there's a lot of earthquake and ashfall and everything in between. So we went there, picked her up, brought her back here in, in Manila. And then, and it's all because, think about this, it's all because this, this rock formation has so much power, it can destroy. Now listen to this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power. God's power. If we can scale the power of that mountain, that would be so powerful. That, that volcano, that's so powerful, really. I mean, But think about the God who made that volcano. Think about the God who spoke everything to creation. Think about the God who said, let there be light and there was light. Think about the God who parted the Red Sea for His people to pass. Think about the God who conquered sin and death. And He says, my power. My power. In a world where everybody is about the self, do it yourself. I remember uh, when I was in college, uh, the, the psychology of self. 
si Kohut and si Winnicott, sabi nila, ah, we have to focus on the self. The self-help industry is one of the biggest industries. Not that I'm against self-help. I want you to understand, there's, there's a lot of things there that's happening that's pointing people to Christ. That's why I don't want to generalize. But the problem with that is we can take it and just think that it's about our power to overcome pain and suffering and sickness and doubts. It's our willpower, our solution-making, our ability to do it. But at the point of Paul's pain, God reminds him, it is my power. It's not your power. It's not your power. It's not your ability. It's not your money. It's not your pedigree nor your name. You're not going to wade your way through this life and avoid pain just because you are you. It is God's power that is made perfect in weakness. Some of the glorious terms in this, in this wonderful line, it says, it is the power, the dunamis of God is completed when we are in the point of weakness. That we are able to see better the power of God because we are at a point of weakness. And we know this, right? Because when we're in our moments of good days, we're in our moments of, you know, everything's doing fine. Business is doing well. School is doing fine. My children, they're going to be okay. And when, we, when somebody talks to us about the power of God, we go, yeah, of course, God is powerful. But it's different when somebody's in the hospital and you can't do anything. And that loved one is dying. When somebody mentions the power of God, that weakness, just hyper-focus. It's really like a lens. It zooms our eyes to the power in God. And we see it better. We see it all so clearly. It's made full and perfect in our moments of weakness. Not that we pray for weakness. Not that we pray that calamities would strike us so that we may know His power. Because here's the thing. If you haven't experienced yet, a kind of pain that led you to your knees to pray this kind of prayer, I do not pray that you experience it. Really. Really. I do not, I would not imagine myself telling, sana mahirapan ka para mahalin mo yung Diyos. But I, I pray this, that if you ever, because I'm kind of sure you will, like a good friend of mine said, you're young, you haven't experienced as much pain. Just wait. Wait long enough and you'll experience such a pain that would say that would lead you either to choose God or move so far away. I invite you. If you're here and you're, you're going through pain, I invite you to look at these words. Stamp it in your eyeballs. I invite you to just grab hold of this and say, this is my God. God that has grace and power that is sufficient and it's made perfect in my moments of pain and weakness. If you're not in a season of pain, you're not in a season of suffering, I invite you to take a hold of this. Keep it in your pocket. Hold it in your heart. Because once that comes, you'll need all the grace. you need all the grace that this verse is talking about. Paul's pain, 
God's response to his pain is to show his grace and his power. Just imagine this. God's response to Paul's plead for removing the thorn is to say, don't forget my grace. Don't forget my power. We are loved by the king of the universe whose grace is unceasing, whose power is incomparable. Let us not forget that. And the response of Paul is this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. I'm going to be happy and go around and boasting about my suffering. And remember, remember what's the story? People are discrediting him. People are saying, Paul, I, he's not that good a preacher. I, Paul, we're better than him. And Paul boasts back. And he could have boasted about the churches he planted, the people that, that met Christ through him. He could have boasted about the fact that he is writing wonderful letters that eventually will be the Bible for all of us. I mean, you would have not known. But then, he could have boasted that way. But what was he boasting about? He's boasting about his weakness. He's boasting about the fact that, hey, I am just so weak. <laughs> so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He repeats this in the next line. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. I am filled in other translations, you would find that word content as filled with joy. A kind of sufferer that goes through pain and says, I have joy in my heart. I don't know how that looks like in many ways. How I pray we would have that kind of faith. Paul's pain is so severe God's response is so majestic. And the third, as we look at, I tried to pull it together in one statement. Because look at this. He, he is content with what? He could have said, I'm content with where I am and what I'm doing. But he says this. I'm content with my weakness. I'm content with the insult. I'm content with the hardships. I'm content with the persecutions. Just quick story, Paul, I mean, the guy, he would go town to town and there was this town, he would go in, Thessalonica, he would preach the gospel, he'd be beat up and he'll be thrown out. The next day, he'll wake up, go back in the city, preach the same gospel. He'd be beat up, thrown out again, do it again the next time. And he has joy. A counterintuitive joy that only comes from understanding the grace that God provides. A joy that only is understood when you yourself have stepped out of your pod of unbelief into the light of faith. God's grace brings contentment that goes beyond, that tramples over suffering. The thing about Paul's pain is this. He did not deny that he was in pain. That's what I love about reading this part of the Bible. He didn't say, hindi, wala lang to. 
And then I'll go to God and say, uh, God, if you're okay with it, just remove it. He was pleading with God. He, it was painful. He acknowledged the fact that it was painful. You see, I'm much afraid that sometimes we Christians, we downplay pain by saying it's just okay. And by downplaying pain, it does not help people. I remember a good friend of mine who was going through a really bad time. And then we have another friend who's a Christian and then they met. And then after their meeting, I was so angry. My friend who was going through pain. So I called him up and said, Oh, how are you? Um, I heard you. You had a fight. What's happening? Bro, you know what he told me? Oh, why? He told me maybe I'm just not going to church enough. Because my mom has cancer. My business is failing. I am not okay with my wife. He's telling me I just need to go to church. I'm not going to church enough. I stopped. I could not think of any response to that. Dear Christian, if you're here and you're helping people, it's not helpful to downplay pain. It's never helpful. No matter how small it is in your eyes, I know for sure, right? You hear people and they, they talk about, ay, grabe, ang gulo ng bahay, parang ma... I don't... There's something wrong when we downplay pain. Paul acknowledged his pain. But you know what? He also didn't magnify the pain. He took it for what it is. It's painful, but God, you're here. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not sure if you know him. He's a theologian slash a lot of things, writer, poet. He's one of those guys. He's a pastor. He's one of those guys during the time of the Nazi Germany. And he's a pastor. And he kept on helping the Jews find refuge. <laughs> and of course, he was taken into the prison camp. And what he did while inside the prison camp, he preached the gospel. <laughs> to the point that the warden started saying, we need to get rid of this guy. On the night that he was to be executed, April 9 of 1945. He preached his last preaching. He says this at the last line. He says, This is for me the end, the beginning of life. As he walks towards the galley where he will be hanged, the doctor who was taking notes of the event wrote in his notebook, I've never seen a man who's gonna die with peace in his eyes. That's how grace works. Kind of peace, kind of contentment, kind of joy that works us through the toughest of pain. I'm not downplaying your pain. I don't know what it is, honestly. But I pray you find the same kind of grace that would carry you through it. Two days ago, I was in Batangas. We did the relief. Pastor Ray was talking about that. We went to Balayan. Oh, no, we didn't go to Balayan. It's the other side. Nasugbu. Went to Nasugbu. And it's an amazing experience. We went to four evacuation centers. Um, this is a picture. You see, those, some of those guys are the guys helping distribute. They're not from our church here in Alabang. They're from Victory Lemery. You know, four of them are from parts of Batangas. 
their houses are destroyed. Their Many of their documents are still there. They can't go back yet because it's in lock, on lockdown. We were, I was talking to them. But they were there helping us give out relief. Because they understood the grace that transcends suffering. A grace that overflows to love. I'll close with a few more images. And I'll, I'll try to pound this really in our hearts, including my heart. So much so that really God would speak to us. This little girl, no matter how cute she is and how perceptive she is of the world, she does not know how much I love her. Really. She knows somehow that I care for her. If she's in pain, she can run to me. But she does not know any, like in, in, in any distance, how much I would give up if it means she would be okay. For some of us, the reason why we can't embrace grace is we don't understand the love of God. We have no idea how big the love of God is for us. That's why like Paul, I want to pray for all of us to, that he bowed his knees in the efficient church for the efficient church. That, that according to the riches of the glory of God, he may grant us the to, to be strengthened in power in His Spirit, in His inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that as we being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength. Through the grace of God, we may have the strength to understand, comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we might be filled with the fullness of God. I pray for all of us. I'm sure God looks up from heaven and says, you don't know how much I love you. You don't know. You may have a small idea because you wake up in the morning, you prayed for food. You may have a small idea, but, but you don't know how much I love you. And maybe the challenge for us is not just embracing faith or embracing grace, but allowing the grace of God to embrace us in the first place. Allowing God to be first to show us that He loves us. I'll end with two questions. Have you encountered this grace? I hope so. I hope so. And if you haven't, it's never too late. You may have been going to church for 20 years and not encountered this grace. You may know all theology, but not know this grace. I invite you to trust in a God who loves. Because I can talk to you about the sunset. Unless you step in there, never know what it feels. Second question, are you living by this grace? How we, do we live by the grace of God, by the power of God? If you're here and you've been a Christian for so long, this is an invitation to put everything back again to the feet of God. Because we live in a broken world. There are thorns in our flesh. But somebody took a royal thorn 
top of his head. Bled to death almost. And we might need to reflect on this empty cross again. He's not there anymore because he rose again so that we may experience the kind of grace that overcomes pain. So bow our heads and pray. Merciful Father, you are beyond comprehension. Your love is beyond our minds. But you allow us to experience it in such a way that we, like children, can come to you as a father, can come to you and be embraced by a love. I don't know what pain my friends are going through. Maybe it's a child that's been problematic. And they've been praying so hard that this child would come to terms with you. And just don't know what to do. They prayed, they went to church, they read the Bible, shared the gospel, everything in between. But they still are praying for that child. I pray with them. Maybe it's sickness. And suffering from that sickness allows them to not see you at the moment. Their lenses somehow can, can be marred by the pain. I pray you give them clarity. Maybe it's people in this place who are plagued with arrogance right to the core of their heart and they cannot feel your grace. Lord, I pray you would just come to them and embrace them. Lord, we'll never, we'll never outgrow our need for grace. So please respond, O God. Show us your grace. Show us your power. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabang.church.